Melia, we are Jean Grey scholars here at Power of Investment. We are literally obsessed with Jean Grey. I mean, you should have seen us on the Shades of Grey, Jean Grey message board back in 2006. I mean, in between like classes on campus, I would run to the library because I didn't have a laptop and I'd use the computers in the library just to post on Shades of Grey, Jean Grey, to give my theories on Phoenix and song. It was a good time. It was a good time. But Adventures in Poor Taste just published an article with Louise Simonson, and she talks all about Jean in it. And I thought we could break it down because we've broken down Jean Grey issue one. We're probably going to break down Jean Grey issue two. In fact, there's some preview pages here that we'll kind of go through as well. But I'm so excited. I want to go through this with you guys, and let's chat about it right now. So Adventures in Poor Taste on Monday for their X-Men Monday published this interview with Louise Simonson. The article says, in a comic book landscape populated with amazing Spider-Man, Mighty Avengers, and Immortal X-Men, it's easy to toss around superlatives. But in the case of the legendary Louise Simonson, not only does it roll off the tongue, it's true, it does, she is legendary, but it's true! Ah, look at that, it is true! Louise hasn't lost her touch. Just ask anybody who read Jean Grey issue one. No. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Okay, that's hyperbolic. I guess we are tossing around superlatives then. A thought-provoking character study on the first X-Woman. Thought-provoking? Come on! Listen, we reviewed it here on the podcast. It reads like a what-if. I wouldn't call it thought-provoking by any means. I would say Here Comes Tomorrow, the ending scene with Gene in the White Hot Room is thought-provoking. I would say Phoenix Ensong would be thought-provoking. I wouldn't say that Jean Grey issue won by Louise Simonson for Fall of X is thought-provoking at all. I'm sorry. Uh, again, I don't think it's a badly written story, but it reads like a what-if. I don't I don't see where the thought-provoking is. I mean, it, it, we are looking at Jean as a character in it, but it's very earnest, right? But anyways, let's go. Let's go. Let, let's continue reading. I can sound off on this all day. That would that would be the video, just sounding off on this one this one writer's opinion on G. Gray issue one. A thought-provoking character study of the first ex-woman. And Wheezy's just getting warmed up as there are three more issues to come in her Fall of X miniseries. I've been fortunate enough to interview Louise Simonson and her husband, Walter Simonson, before, so I was extra excited to chat with her again about the equally legendary Jean Grey. As you'll learn, Louise doesn't disappoint. The interviewer kicks off the interview by saying, Welcome back to X-Men Monday, Louise. First, how did the chance to write a Jean Grey-focused miniseries as part of the larger Fall of X epic come about? Louise, a while back, the editor, Sarah Brunstad, asked me if I'd write a miniseries highlighting in some way the stories I've told a million years ago. I said yes. Then I started trying to catch up on Gene's more recent stories. Okay, so we kind of said that when we were reviewing Gene Grey issue one. I was like, I don't know if Louise is fully caught up on on these stories that's happened with Gene recently. Um, that's fine because I do think, in fairness, I think the characterization of Jean, the way she writes Jean, is pretty accurate. So, you know, if she had to go do some research on what's happened with Jean these last few years, that's fine. But you can tell, you can just tell in the writing that she was catching up. She wasn't fully in the know about everything that's been happening to the char character, right? It's just certain nuances with the story, right? One of the things that we talked about in the review was okay, so Teen Jean 
is trying to save the future. So adult gene intervenes so teen gene doesn't let the other O5 forget about the future happenings. One of the things I would have tackled is Jean reading Xavier's mind because that was a hallmark of the character. She would read minds, you know, unsolicited when she was in the present. And I would have had Team Jean look at Xavier's mind and be like, wait a minute, what is this Krakoa? What are you hiding from us? Right. Because at that point, Xavier would have known about Krakoa. So it's little nuances like that. I obviously Louise Simonson knows about Krakoa, but if you would have read all of all new X-Men and Teen Gene, if you've been up to date with the Crocoan X-Men, that would have been an organic thing that you thought they would have tackled, especially since this is dealing with the Hellfire Gala falling. So you would think they would have wanted to have established Krakoa earlier to strengthen Krakoan security or how the mutants are, right? I'd get what I thought was a good idea, then found out someone else had already done it. Honestly, what did I expect? It has been 40 years since I'd written her on a regular basis. I wonder what her great idea for Jean was. I'm trying to think. Could it have been the trial of Jean Grey where teen Jean was put on trial? Did she want to put Jean on trial for for the Dabari system? I don't know. That's, that's a pretty interesting question mark there. I'm trying to think of what else it could have been. That, that would have been that Louise would have been like, OK, I want to tell this Jean Grey story, but someone else has already done it. I mean, Jean was dead for about 12 to 15 years. So there's a huge gap from Phoenix and song to Phoenix Resurrection. So, you know, the only thing I can think about within the last like couple, you know, last decade or so would have been the trial of Jean Grey. Be the generations issue of Teen Gene meeting Phoenix and trying to prevent the whole Dark Phoenix saga. Maybe that's something. I don't know. Anyways, okay. So let's continue. Louise goes on to say, toyed with the Shi'ar. Okay. Wondered if anyone had gone back in time and saved the Dabari. All right. So right there, Teen Gene uh, trying to avoid Dark Phoenix in Generations or the trial of Jean Grey. Toyed with the uncontrolled telepathy, which again was something that Bendis had also covered. Toyed with Phoenix. Toyed with Jean's possible belief that there was a darkness in her that would destroy everyone she loved. Love that. But I couldn't seem to make any of those into a story I wanted to tell. Okay, I was going to say, a story she didn't want to tell. Because I would say, like, I, I think Jean toying with a darkness that could destroy everyone she loves is a phenomenal way of looking at the character, especially if she was going to merge back with the Phoenix. It's a stark contrast to what we saw in Morrison's new X-Men, where Jean was becoming a god. Jean wasn't rejecting the Phoenix. Jean was welcoming the Phoenix. The Phoenix was elevating her to a higher state of being in the White Hot Room. She was becoming a god. She was becoming less human, right? This wasn't so much about Jean be going dark, right? There are a couple of lines in Grant Morrison's new X-Men where we find out that the Phoenix is actually a godlike deity that's here to cleanse the world. So we knew there was a disinfection period in New X-Men. We know that Jean couldn't tell a lie. She said that to Bishop after Emma was murdered. And she point blank says that she knows that everyone's worried that the Phoenix is turning her into some kind of monster, but it's nothing like that. I love the idea that now for the Krakone Age, maybe we will get a stark contrast to that story where Jean is like, man, I'm bonding again with the Phoenix and there's this darkness in within this power. And Right. I, I've always seen the Phoenix, and, and I think this is a, a true testament to Greg Pak and Greg Morrison and what they did with the Phoenix, which is the Phoenix is not a 
malevolent force. It's just a force. It's like a hurricane. You're not going to call a hurricane evil. The hurricane is what it is. A comet that smashes into the earth isn't evil. But Morrison went out of their way to show that the Phoenix did cleanse the Dabari system because they were an evolutionary denon, that the Phoenix serves a higher cosmic purpose. Emma herself says this in Phoenix War Song. So, you know, the idea that the Phoenix isn't really so much evil, but more of a force of evolution, a force of the universe could be very interesting. Gene, as a human, could perceive that as darkness. Like, wow, what if I have to disinfect the earth here? And these are all the people I love. I don't want to murder them, but the phoenix is obeying a higher evolutionary thing. So, you know, this is all to say I really like that 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 potential story. Sorry. Okay, we're going to go back into it. Louise continues, until I found out about the Hellfire Gala and that Gene was dead again, dot, 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 along with a batch of other mutants. Sarah wondered if my quote-unquote dark Gene idea might tie into the Fall of X storyline, and finally the story began to come together. What if Gene, dead more or less, is in the afterlife, thought it was her fault that everybody died. How far would she go back to save everyone? That's that's fair. Listen, Jean is a character built upon sacrifice. Jean is a character who will always give herself up to save others. Now, I do think it's kind of ridiculous, the statement, how far will she go back? Because she's gone back real far. She's going back to the days of 05, but she's not even tackling Krakoa in this, because the problem is that Krakoa was infiltrated. They weren't prepared for an Orcus Nimrod extinction level event. How do you prepare for that? You establish Krakoa earlier. That seems to be a bit more of a logical response to something like that. I wouldn't think I would go so far back to you know, the 05 era unless adult Gene in the afterlife, which why does she call it the afterlife? Call it the white hot room. It's rendered as a white hot room, thank God, in the comics. But in this interview, it should be called the white hot room. I don't know if Louise Simonson is up to date on the white hot room and knows the particulars of the white hot room like us crazy Jean fans. That's fine. She doesn't have to. It can be the afterlife. This is an interview. What's true in an interview isn't true to the comics. But I really wish that it would be addressed as a white hot room. But I would have Jean in the white hot room be like, going back, being like, okay, I'm going to make the 05 remember everything. And Teen Gene, I'm going to put a little suggestion. Check Xavier's mind because there's something called Krakoa there. Try to establish Krakoa earlier on. <laughs> you know, it could be a Groundhog's Day situation where she she treat, she keeps trying to save Krakoa, but Krakoa keeps getting destroyed. I'm not really seeing how all of this is benefiting Krakoa. It just seems like Gene is internalizing her own guild, but it's not really trying to find a way to solve the problem because, again, you would want to plant the seeds earlier for Krakoa. Gene is just like, oh, the 05, let's have her be a little bit more proactive, teen Gene. Anyways, all right, continuing on with the story here, Simonson continues, luckily, Kyrian Jillen, immortal X-Men mastermind, was generous enough to let me add my own addendum to the epic Fall of X story. So we know there's something brewing with Gene and immortal X-Men. Destiny saw the phoenix hovering over the earth in her vision of what's to come, right? We've seen all of that already kind of come to pass. We saw Sins of Sinister. We're seeing Exodus in the desert. We... We can assume there is going to be a Phoenix-level story on the horizon. I'm very excited for that. All right, so then we jump into fan questions. And our first fan question comes from Dusklight. I love that name. I totally, when I was growing up, I was obsessed with Don Summers from Buffy. The only Don Summers fan out there. But um, so the male version of Don for me was Dusk. And that was sort of my moniker. (laughs) 
so ridiculous. I love it. Anyway, all right. Fan question comes from Dusk Light, who said, your work with Jean Grey is seminal, and you have been very open about her being your favorite character in the past. What do you think it is that leads her fans, yourself included, to love her so intensely? <laughs> do we love Jean Grey intensely? Okay, Louise says... Jean is a very complex, in some ways, a study in contrast. She's kind and loving, intent on doing the right thing, but as the heart of the phoenix, she destroyed a world. She's arrogant in a way, well aware of her own power, and yet she questions her choices. She has a strong moral code and has had to make some difficult choices. She's very intelligent, but she's basically a creature of emotion. She's impulsive. She acts as her heart tells her. And in a character as strong as she is, even positive emotions can be negative if pushed too far. Toss in with the phoenix who feeds on emotion. You have a combustible situation. I don't necessarily disagree with that statement. I would say as a Jean fan, what I love about her the most is that she growing up was the one that was underestimated and she was the one who had the power to rise into the cosmos and be better than what anyone ever gave her credit for so yeah i I don't disagree with what louise is saying there but i think it's a simplified version of why we are so obsessed with gene yeah she has been the strong one she has been the weak one they want all this and more from her right to quote apocalypse i think gene is a very complex character and and i love it also add in a very superficial element that she lights on fire as a phoenix and sails the cosmos, and she has so many incarnations. I love the character, and I also think Jean is one of those characters who has a very human story. She gets bitten by the evolutionary bug, and she climbs the evolutionary ladder, and she quite literally becomes a god, and that power corrupts her, but it's more important for her to die a human, so she sacrifices herself. There's so much to love about Jean. <laughs> so I again I'm I'm nitpicking in this situation. It's a it's a fine quote. Louis Simonson, obviously, as we've said, knows Jean very well. Well, speaking of that cosmic firebird X fan at Jean Red Gray was wondering if you consider the Phoenix an extension of Jean's abilities and a symbol of her self-empowerment in the same way Chris Claremont does. Whoa, this is a really I, I can't wait to see what she says because The phoenix is supposed to be symbolic, I feel, of feminine power and specifically Jean's power. So I that's what I love about the original Phoenix saga. That's why I loved about the original Dark Phoenix saga. It is why so many people do pick apart that ending with the Dark Phoenix saga. Why does Jean, if the phoenix is supposed to be emblematic of her power, why does that power have to corrupt the female character when characters like Thor can run around Silver Surfer at the time, at the time can run around, be cosmic characters, but not be corrupted by this? It's a very thought-provoking idea. It's a very thought-provoking debate. That is a thought-provoking debate. So, you know, I, I love the idea personally that the Phoenix is emblematic of Jean's power and it transcends time. It transcends this mortal coil. She is in the white hot room. She's operating on a cosmic level. That's why I hate it when other characters get the Phoenix, unless your names are Madeline Pryor, Rachel Gray, or Nathan Summers. I don't want the Phoenix around you at all. It is a Gray Summers thing. It is supposed to be Jean's power. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the way it goes. It's yeah. Anyways, okay. I don't even like Cyclops getting in. And listen, the Phoenix Five. I think the Phoenix Five as a concept have aged well, but AVX is a very bad story. But that's fine. Those were cool costumes, so we won't rant on that on this episode. Okay, so Louise says, oh, I'm so excited to see what Louise says. Louise says, hmm, 
I think if Jean is powerful enough to have created the Phoenix, we've only begun to tap into her immense abilities. I like that. I really, I love the idea that Jean created the Phoenix. And again, it transcends time and space. If so, the question is, has she created a separate entity apart from herself with its own agenda? Or when the Phoenix enters and empowers other characters, is she manifesting her own will telepathically across the Marvel Universe? I don't know. Only time will tell. I love this quote so much. Bravo, Louise Simonson. And, you know, I, I think we can sort of see some of the seeds here that she's planted in Jean Grey issue one, where Jean is creating her own universes and seeing how these things are playing out. I really, truly believe that Louise Simonson has read and had time to understand Here Comes Tomorrow and the idea that Jean can look at a timeline, see it play out and amputate it if needed. I, That is a beautiful quote. I'm going to read it one more time because I love it so much. Hmm. I think if Jean is powerful enough to have created the Phoenix, we've only begun to tap into her immense abilities. If so, the question is, has she created a separate entity apart from herself with its own agenda? Or when the Phoenix enters and empowers other characters, is she manifesting her own will telepathically across the Marvel Universe? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I love that quote so much. I can't say how much I love that quote. That is a perfect quote. All right, next question. In Jean Grey number one, we saw how comfortable Jean was with making tweaks to minds for the greater good. X-Fan Kyle was wondering, how much do you believe Jean's meddling is because telepaths inherently learn that way? And how much of it is Jean as a person? If it's the latter, what about Jean in her conception as well as her story throughout the years that led to her being so decisive and absolute? Louise says, I think it would be tempting for anyone if they had the power to literally change someone's mind, especially if they had traveled to the future and seen where some bad ideas would eventually lead. I think Jean's impulsiveness might play a part there, too. Okay. So Jean's being, I don't know, she's dead and she's meditating on her life. I wouldn't call her being impulsive, but sure. Act first, regret later. Yeah, sometimes. Also, with all she knows about human nature, as telepaths, she knows way more than most. She could easily get frustrated, get tired of explaining, and just want people to do the right thing as she sees it. That's probably a human trait in her case. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. You know, I, I think Gene reading other people's minds without permission is something that was introduced during the all-new X-Men and Bendis' run when Teen Gene came to the present. She found out that she could read minds. Those barriers that Xavier had put in her mind sort of went away again. Louise is not only influenced by Here Comes Tomorrow, but Bendis' new X-Men, at least for this first issue. For this first issue. So... You know, I'm I'm gonna like adult gene doesn't seem to have that problem whatsoever. I think given the circumstances that she saw her entire species be slaughtered at the Hellfire Gala and she died, I think her going back trying to change some things is not her being rash irrational. She's not acting, you know, off the cuff here. She's not being emotional. I think she's trying to fix a problem. Anyways, okay, let's continue. X-Fan Omega-1 wanted to know what one of the biggest challenges are for writing Jean Grey. Louise says, The biggest challenge is conveying how very complex Jean is as a character, the conflicting light and darkness. Jean has always had her own agenda or character arc, but when she's acting as part of a team, all your focus isn't on her. She's just one of several characters you're following. 
That's fair. That's very fair. I love that statement. This is very true for the 90s. Very true for 90s Gene. And it's always been kind of a conundrum with writers. How do we tell Jean Grey's story if it doesn't involve the Phoenix and making her go dark, right? Balancing her vulnerability, her confusion with the need to tell a relatively coherent story was, I guess, the biggest challenge in this miniseries. I hope Jean Grey, number four, pulls it all together. Okay, so something big is going to happen in Jean Grey number four. I originally thought this was going to be five issues. So, you know, we kind of know where the first three issues are going already. Number one, we've already read. She's, you know, gone back to the 05. Number two is going to see Wolverine have the Phoenix. And number three, she's going to go to Madeline Pryor. So let's see what number four is, what conclusion Jean reaches. Is issue four going to see her hopping around to different moments, different seminal moments? Because I don't believe the answers to saving her fellow mutants that died at the Hellfire Gala lie in the space shuttle flight or Ferno. Okay. I'm okay. Adventures in poor taste. Oh, I'm confident in that. But as you mentioned, the miniseries final issue, let's look ahead a bit. Jean Grey number two, for instance looks to focus on Wolverine becoming the Phoenix instead of Jean. Every creator and fan seems to have their own take on Jean's love life. As a writer who put in major work cleaning up Scott and Jean's relationship, do you have any strong feelings on Jean's romantic partner, her ideal romantic partner? Louise says, Scott, definitely Scott, so far at least, partly because he balances her. She's all about feeling. He's all about control. Scott is particularly fun. However, when he's pushed far enough that his control shatters. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I think Morrison wrote a very awesome story in New X-Men, you know, kind of showing us why the Scott Jean romance kind of played its course and why Scott needed to be with someone like Emma. That's my opinion on Scott with Emma. Who should Jean be with? I've always, I've maintained I love Jean in X-Men Red. I like Jean being solo, trying to understand the world, acting as a leader. That's, That's where I want Jean. When we had Jordan D. White on the podcast two years ago, he said that, you know, when they brought Jean back, the question was who was going to be her romantic love interest or who was going to be a love interest for Jean. And I was like, Jean doesn't need a love interest. Like, you've had like 60 years of this character with love interest. Like, let her be solo. I, I mean, especially since at the time, Jordan D. White had gone out of his way to say that, you know, if Jean really was dead, her marriage to Cyclops would have been annulled because she would have had a will and that will would have been executed and she would have been legally dead. So, you know, you said it, not me. <laughs> and I agree with you. I agree with you. I think the marriage would have been annulled and Gina Scott would have to recommit the, to each other, especially if they're going to be in a new nation like Krakoa, they would have to recommit to each other. But again, I think Jean... Thinking about just this quote and Jean's love life, I I do think she and Cyclops pair up nicely. Yes, I do agree on that. However, again, I think Jean and Scott ran its course. I think Scott and Emma are a very fun, interesting story. I love Jean being an all-powerful cosmic entity intervening in the mutant coil only during dire times or trying to save the world from fake news as we saw in X-Men Red. Anyways, okay. And in Jean Grey number three, you appear to have a chance to revisit Madeline Pryor. Maddie is back among the living, having a real renaissance. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would call it real renaissance, but she's having her moment. Yes, and is even leading Dark X Men. You've had pretty strong opinions about Maddie in the past. Has writing Jean Grey number three allowed you to reevaluate your views on the Goblin Queen? 
Lee says, I never believed in Maddie S. Scott's sweet, betrayed wife. She was just too bland. A blank, a cipher, a stand-in. I totally believe her as the Goblin Queen. I love the story Chris crafted that revealed Mr. Sinister's part in her creation. Her shock, her fury, her refusal to accept her sinister, ordained fate. I love that she took the power where she found it and became a force to be reckoned with. She's not all bad or all good. She, like Jean, is complex and powerful and fun to write, especially when she's in a rage. She's so single-minded. Anywho, we deal with some of this in the miniseries. Madeline was also originally created to be the one-in-million shot of a girl who looked like Jean and Scott's happily ever after. Scott would retire from the X-Men. He'd have a kid or two with Maddie, and he'd be on the reserved X-Men, only coming in when needed. So that was the original intent for Madeline, and then obviously it morphed into Sinister, Gene, and the Phoenix, and Boo Cable. So, you know, it's it's very complicated. At the, at the time, it was, you know, very hard to, like, wrap your head around it. I can see where Louise probably didn't really... I, I don't know what Louise's original comments were. We'll we'll look for them online and we'll we'll sort of like talk about it in Jean Grey issue two when we do our review there. But I can see where, you know, initially you would have been like, oh, Madeline. I'm curious to see where the situation is going to go with Madeline and Jean Grey issue three. Is she going to prevent Madeline from killing herself, right? That's what happened in Inferno. She was going to psychically kill Jean and herself. Maybe Jean is going to try to save her this time. And, and they're going to try to see the future of Krakoa together. I Who knows? Let's see. Or see the future unfold together as sisters. I, I'm really curious. You know, in X-Men the end, Claremont answered the question about Madeline. Madeline was a part that loved Scott unconditionally. And I thought that was pretty, that was pretty cute. I think we all love Maddie as more than just a clone that was built to mate with Cyclops. So the fact that she can step out and be her own is really great. But, you know, think of a heartwarming story of in the early aughts that sort of ends the X-Men. Madeline being the part of Jean that loves Scott unconditionally and merges back with Jean in the end. It's, it's fine. It's cute. We'll see where it goes. As we wrap up a question that goes back to your X-Factor run. But first, X-Fan Info Jean Grey wanted to say, Louise, do you know that you are considered the mother of Jean fans? <laughs> I think I wasted a question, but I need to say that you are like our mother. It's funny, I've never, I, I'm such a huge Jean stan, but I would never call, I've never called Louise mother. <laughs> But that's that's great. She she obviously knows the character very well and has been very instrumental in cleaning up the character's continuity and shaping her to the gene we would get in the 90s, the early aughts that she'd be dead and the gene we have now in the Krakoan age. Louise says, I'm very flattered that the gene I wrote is regarded so highly. That's a lot of responsibility. I know a lot of other people have added to her very complex and powerful story, and I just hope I don't muck it up. Girl, don't fuck it up. I'm sure you're going to be fine, Louise. Uh, you can always tell where a series is going to go even after the first issue. And there's no way Louise Simonson is going to muck up Gene in these four issues. It's a very, there's a lot of heart written, right? It's not by any means a perfect first issue that we read. I'm only going based off the first issue, but there's a lot of heart in it. And, and Louise, you can't fuck it up. You can't fuck it up. And that's where the interview ends. And we get some preview pages for Gene Gray. Number two, where Jean is looking at the space shuttle flight where she turned into Phoenix and she thought she was so stubborn she should have just accepted help from her friends. So Wolverine in it says, listen, you can telepathically send me all the information I need to know to pilot this space shuttle and I have a healing factor that can protect me from the radiation. And so as the scenario plays out, 
Jean says, you don't have to be a jerk about it. But yeah, okay, that's a good idea. And so we get a cut to Logan piloting the space shuttle. And Jean is able to establish a link with him. And she gets to know so much about him from his time at war, being a kid. And that's where the preview ends. So pretty interesting. We're going to see Jean and Wolverine's relationship unfold in this issue. But judging from Louise's comments here, it looks like she is a firm believer of Jean and Scott. I wonder if we're going to get a situation with that. What if Phoenix had chosen Wolverine and Phoenix destroys the universe because she's not with Cyclops because her love isn't strong enough? Let's see how that unfolds. But anyways, Familia, that is the interview with Louise Simonson on Adventures in Poor Taste. We're excited for Jean Grey issue two. Again, Louise Simonson has a really good grasp on the character. Is there a lot that's going to happen? This sounds like it's just a fill-in series, to be honest with you, because it sounds like what was happening in Immortal X-Men was already planned, and this is going to be an addendum to it. Those are Louise's words, not mine. So let's see how everything goes. It's, it's setting up Jean for her big return in Immortal X-Men. We know she's going to come back in Immortal X-Men. We can't wait for it. That's the cover right there by Mark Brooks. Leave your comments below. What are your thoughts on our God Queen and her future in the Marvel Universe? Do we think they're going to do another Dark Phoenix? Ring that notification bell so you never miss an episode for Power of X-Men. Give us your feels. Slide into our DMs of Power of X-Men and stay tuned for more videos on our God Queen.